0: bread and water is so easily turned into tea and toast, there's always time to partake with a friend. I'm Jennifer
1: Stowe from Three Sisters Tea Room. And I'm Julia Stowe from Blossom Arts, sharing tea for a moment today because life is beautiful. Welcome to Tea and Toast. well. How are you, Mommy? Oh, doing great. i really excited to be back with another podcast about tea. And I wanted to talk just to, for a minute about uh, anything cultural or beautiful that you might want to recommend.
0: Well, recently we went to the Cheekwood Estate up in Nashville and they had an exhibit um, all throughout their gardens of Chihuly blown glass, which was very colorful and beautiful. And they've just redone uh, a lot of their gardens. They've renovated a lot of the trails and everything, but they've redone their
1: um,
0: Japanese garden, and uh, it's just beautiful.
1: Yes, it really was. And it's got a beautiful pagoda in it and a sort of um, zen garden area where they've raked the stones. And it's just very peaceful, very beautiful, lots of bamboo. And uh, that really was a gorgeous, gorgeous day. So what is in new teacup today? Uh, elderberry because just today, earlier this morning,
0: uh, we had an elderberry class here at the Tea Room and talked all about the benefits of elderberry and elderflower and its history, which was just great fun. So I'm still enjoying the leftover tea from our uh, our class this morning and it's quite delicious. And it actually is in a very pretty cup this time as well. It's not in a teacup, it's a tea mug and it has its perfect little strainer basket and lid to keep it warm and I love this mug. It has Um, Klimt's painting the kiss on it from his gold period and it's all uh, warm autumn colors and I think it's perfect for this time of year so I'm enjoying it out of that, and that was a gift from you, so it makes it even more special.
1: Well, thank you, sweetheart, and also we're having a tea this month in October that's featuring um, some of his artwork from his golden period and also how that ties into some art theft during World War II, uh, which I won't give too much away, otherwise you won't need to, you won't learn anything new at the tea, Uh, but anyways, that's a very fitting mug for today, and today I am drinking coincidentally out of a teacup that you gave me for my birthday, which is a blue and white lusterware cup with a with a very delicate Chinese motif on it. It could possibly be Japanese, but it it's very delicate. It looks like
0: it could have come out of the Cheekwood
1: Garden. It certainly <laughs> does. And the tea that I'm drinking is an oolong, which you know is my all-time favorite tea. And this is a, kind of a dark oolong. It's heavily oxidized, and it's from Vietnam. And it's a tea that is brand new to me, and it's from a wonderful company called Charities, and she's out of Sandy, Oregon, and she sources uh, many fine Asian teas, and this one is called Red Buffalo, and again, it's just a dark oolong, and I am enjoying it tremendously. Is
0: this the one we tried the other night together, you and I? That was an amazing tea. Yes, it
1: is, and we were both really surprised at how sweet it yes. was. Do you remember that? Yes lovely. But today we're going to talk about blooming teas. And we have enjoyed blooming teas through the years and very much. Mm-hmm. But one thing that we've noticed is that they are really, really much more beautiful than they are delicious. And so I got to thinking, what is the big deal with blooming teas? So a little bit of research uh, gave me a lot of insight into this topic. And we recently had a, a tea FET, a tea education class, on blooming teas, and uh, what we found out was that there's a lot of mystery, folklore, and legend surrounding <laughs> blooming teas, as there often um, are with tea culture. Mm-hmm. So, But we do know a few things for certain. Blooming teas come from the Yunnan province of China, and they are basically long tea leaves and the very fine buds wrapped around flowers that are bound together um, with cotton string, left to dry in the shape of a compressed ball or uh, maybe an oval shape, like a football, a little bit on the football side. But they uh, go by several names, so I'm going to just list a few in case people have seen this by and they know it by another name. They'll know what we're talking about. Sometimes they're called art teas or performance teas, display teas, blossoming teas, or flowering teas. They are truly teas for show. If there was a beauty pageant for teas, blooming teas would win. <clears throat> I like that name, performance teas. That's exactly what they are. They're something you want to sit and watch. They are. And you know what? We, at our, our tea class, we had some beautiful and classically inspired live music that was being played while our teas were blooming. And it was very peaceful and very beautiful. The controversial part of the the history goes something like this. There's sort of two stories. One of them starts off that blooming teas came about in the 10th century uh, in in China, in the Yunnan province, and that they were for the emperors. They were uh, an art form that these tea uh, artists would create these, ornate teas that opened up and and beautiful flowers came from within the the leaves and bloomed, they were purely for visual display, to enjoy the beauty of the process. They weren't really for drinking. They were more ceremonial. The other legend goes something like this. Blooming teas came around 20 years ago. (laughs) When, Very different. <laughs> and they were sort of the latest, greatest fad. If we look back to the late 20th century, we see that in the 1980s, um, tea rooms in America had a real renaissance. They, were, they just mm. popped up everywhere. The after, classic afternoon tea tea room was um, in its heyday in the 80s. And then about in the 2000s, about 20 years later, we see... Um, tea bars popping up everywhere. The the college students are looking for an alternative to the coffee cafes, and they're looking for a tea alternative, and we have these tea bars. Well, you know, a few years later, (laughs) we need something else. We've got bubble tea on the scene, and now we've got blooming teas. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that the blooming tea has a very, very short-lived history.
0: Well, there are a couple dilemmas with the earlier theory that's a little bit interesting uh-huh. because what are what is one of the most important things with the blooming tea? We've well talked about it being a performance
1: tea. You're so exactly you have to right. See it. You're exactly right. When we bloom a tea, we need the tea ball, mm-hmm. and we also need a glass, a glass teapot. Teapot.
0: And I don't know for sure that it. It's certainly I suppose possible that they could have had glass teapots, but I believe tempered glass only came about turn of the twentieth century, and maybe even nineteen
1: thirties forties we had glass teaware well with um with the arrival of pyrex mm. Mm-hmm we got a glass tea kettle, didn't we? Well, that's a subject for deeper study because now that you mention it, traditionally the Japanese used a yeasin clay Mm -hmm. teapot or an iron teapot. So, hmm. You couldn't really see the beauty of the tea. (laughs) We've got to do a little more (laughs) research on this subject. Well, despite whichever legend is or, or a story is actually true, the artistic arrangement of the tea and flowers is a sight to behold. And these tea artists can make about um, a couple of dozen of blooming tea balls a day, and that's it. And they um, work tirelessly at maintaining the integrity and the beauty of the craft. After these blooming teas are balled up and they're left to dry, they're often wrapped in beautiful foil of maybe red or gold or silver foils with beautiful artistic labels put on top, and often the artist will sign Mm -hmm. their um, creations. So there's a sense of pride in in the process.
0: Well, if it is a recent phenomenon that's come about with a short history, I love the fact that it's still a very... um, handcrafted art form. It's not like it was a um, mass-produced product. It's still very much um, an artisan product.
1: You're right. And like so many things that the Chinese have done with tea through the ages, it is still very much in the keeping in the Mm -hmm. tradition of the beauty and the purity and the integrity of the leaf. Um, I wanted to touch on just a second um, the most what 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 the ingredients are for the tea ball. The most common leaves that are used are white tea leaves, with green being a very very close second. And often you'll see a combination of the two. And that's why tea balls have that beautiful silvery color, right? That's right. You'll often see the outer leaves look a little striated, a darker mm-hmm. green, a kind of a silvery green, or even grayish looking. And that's because there are two tea leaves uh, blended together. And although recent years have seen the addition of oolong tea leaves, or even black tea leaves in tea balls. That's really not traditional, but then, you know, what is traditional if you've only been around for 20 years? (laughs) So, but uh, the most common are the white and the green tea leaves. But um, inside are flowers, and they're little flowers, but there's a long list of flowers that often accompany um, the tea balls, and those might be osmanthus flowers, chrysanthemums, jasmine flowers, marigold, roses, Um, red clover. Red clover is in a lot of the blooming teas we had for our
0: class Mm -hmm. Uh, and I love that because you have the bright pink and then some of the jasmine flowers which are a little bit lighter in color but have a better flavor. A neat combination of the um, medicinal herbs as well as the medicinal benefits of the tea too, Mm -hmm. combining them that way.
1: Yes and you being an herbalist would point that out because a lot of these flowers are herbs that you would use in traditional
0: herbal blends. Definitely. well, A lot of our herbal blends have certainly rose petals and red clover in them. The osmanthus flowers, though, I think have to be one of the most wonderful flavors and scents to add to a tea. They have such a beautiful smell. So I think that's a lovely one. I don't actually know if that has any medicinal properties other than its beauty, but
1: uh, I'll have to look into that. And if it just is for beauty, that's okay, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yes, well, the artisans who make the blooming teas believe that their creations symbolize love and happiness and prosperity, and that's what they feel they pour into their uh, blooming tea balls, and that's what they're hoping to deliver to the person who's experiencing the bloom. Um... And so, it ta- uh, because blooming teas typically are more for the um, ceremony or the experience of watching the tea bloom and not really for the drinking, I was a little nervous about actually serving blooming teas during our tea class. However, we were pleasantly surprised. Yes. We had some lovely tea balls, uh, blooming teas, and when the first steep, we did three steeps, of the the blooming teas and we found that the first steep, which was for two minutes, was um, a little delicate and actually didn't have a great deal of tea flavor to it because the tea leaves hadn't really even opened Mm -hmm. yet. The second steep we did for three minutes and the tea was significantly darker but again, the flavor was um, was probably actually the strongest of the three brews we noticed, the darkest color of the three brews, and probably the most astringent of the three brews.
0: I still don't think it was as um, astringent and strong as just a normal sencha tea that you would brew. Though it still seemed on the, probably because of the white tea, could very it still well be seemed a little lighter.
1: And the third steep was a little on the earthy side, some people Mm -hmm. said, and uh, a little bit milder. And again, we we did three minutes on the third steep. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a little legend that goes along with the three steeps. And the first one is for the beauty. It's for watching the bloom, watching the leaves open. It's It's just to rest, to be quiet, and experience the few moments of the unfurling of the leaves. The second steep is for hydration and nourishment of your body. And the third steep is for the enjoyment of your companions. So when I compared that to what people said about the three tastes, and I thought, oh, isn't that interesting how it lines up? That second steep, which is supposed to hydrate us and nourish us, was probably the roughest flavor mm-hmm. of the three. You definitely
0: felt like you were getting all the properties of the herbs <laughs> and the tea leaves in that second steeping.
1: That's exactly what I thought. I felt like, wow, I have just been nourished with all that antioxidant. And the third steep, a little earthier, a little closer to the to home, um, and a little bit, you know, it just it felt like companionship to me, so. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. and even the first steep for beauty, I could taste the, I had jasmine in the one I tried, I could taste the floral flavors more in the first deep, which is interesting, because it hadn't actually opened all the way yet, but you could still taste it. So the beauty of the flowers in the first deep, you could taste.
1: You're exactly right, and every, uh, uh, other ladies said the same thing, that they could taste floral in the first mm-hmm. deep, and I had forgotten that, and the color was, again, just so delicate, it mm-hmm. almost didn't even look like any tea had really steeped into the water. It was, it was mm-hmm. just very, very light. So, we did, like I said, enjoy it with some live music. And we know that through this medium of being recorded, we can't show you a blooming tea. So, we wanted to let everyone know that we have recorded the um, music and focused on the glass teapot and had the tea bloom, and we will put that on our Facebook page, and people can go look in the video section of our Facebook page and find that video to... Watch the tea bloom, the performance of the tea. That's right. That's right. And we uh, found out that, after all, we really did enjoy the tea from the blooming tea, and always in the past, we've just sort of dismissed... Blooming teas, well I think that three steeping is key because in the past we've always let it steep until it's bloomed
0: and that, you know, because you're waiting for it to finish opening and it's uh, exciting but it ends up being a little too strong and that first steeping of being really delicate and then that second steeping a little bit stronger and the third steeping fully bloomed
1: was really perfect. It really was perfect, and it was a perfect afternoon to enjoy with friends. And, Jules, I just want to thank you so much for joining, for talking with me today about, you know, my favorite subject, tea. (laughs) It's one of my favorites, too. (laughs) So we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tea and Toast. I'm Jennifer Stowe of Three Sisters Tea Room. And I'm Julia Stowe of Blossom Arts. Find us online at 3sistersteeroom.com or blossomartstn.com and on
0: Facebook. Thank you for joining us.